This morning, we're going to share in our summer series on the parables of Jesus. And thus far, we've seen where there were two messages on lost things, such as lost coins and lost sheep, and then there was the lost son, which is the prodigal son. After that, we had the uh, parable of the wheat and the tares, where we learned how to live in the deep weeds of life. And then we uh, had the parable about the kingdom of heaven is like an unforgiving servant, is what we had last week. This morning, we're going to look at one of three parables, which are stories that are part and parcel of Passion Week. That is, the week before Jesus went to the cross. And here he's teaching his disciples about the second coming, when he's going to be coming again. It's probably uh, on Tuesday of uh, the Thursday before the Last Supper, there, there where they're sitting on the Mount of Olives. And um, he's answering three questions from his disciples that they had regarding his future return. And in his answer, he tells them a story about the kingdom of heaven, what it will be like at the time of his second coming, at the time he comes again at the end of the age. This story is the parable about the ten bridesmaids or the ten virgins. You see, up to this point, Jesus had periodically told his disciples and others that were around him that he would be going away for a while, and, but that he would return again someday when no one knows the day or the hour. And now that he's come within a couple days of his going to the cross, of being arrested, he takes time, he takes a time out with his disciples to complete this discussion about the end of the age. And that's what he's going to do here in this parable. The conversation begins after Jesus and his disciples uh, depart the temple area at the beginning of Matthew chapter 24. You'll remember that uh, prior to that, Jesus was in the temple area, and he was talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, and you have these seven woes. Woe to you, whitewashed tombs, etc., etc., etc. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? And then they come out of that area, and they're walking by the temple and the, these large buildings, and one of the disciples speaks up and says, uh, wow, look at... Do you, do you, do you, can you get, get a hold of these big buildings here? Look, look at the size of these things, and look at the size of these rocks. And, and, and let me tell you, when you go to Jerusalem today, that's what you'll say. Look at the size of these things. Because they're like six or eight feet tall, they're like 12 feet deep, and they're, they're like 35 feet long. Who brought those here? How do they do that? So you're, you're saying that. Even though they've been down that road before, they marvel at that. And then Jesus responds and he says that um, there will not be left one stone upon its, its other, that it won't be thrown down, that these buildings will be thrown down, and which left, as you can imagine, the disciples absolutely astonished. They couldn't believe it. So they walk with Jesus, nobody's saying anything, they walk with Jesus out down the Kidron Valley up to the Mount of Olives and they, they sit down and they couldn't hold it in any longer. They gotta ask Jesus three questions. When will these things be? That is, when will not, uh, one stone not be on the other one? When, when will this all be destroyed? Secondly, what will be the sign of your coming? And thirdly, what will be the sign of the end of the age? And Jesus answers these questions by speaking what we read in Matthew 
24. Matthew 24. A discussion about the end times where there's going to be false prophets that are going to lead people astray. The reality of wars and rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, that people will be delivered up to the tribulation and some will be put to death. The followers of Jesus will be hated by all nations for his namesake. Many will fall away and fall away from the faith and betray one another and hate one another. Lawlessness will increase and the gospel will be proclaimed throughout the whole world and then, the scripture says, and then the end will come. These are just some of the things he mentions. At that time, at that place, these things will take place just prior to the end when Jesus goes on here to say much more about that. He says, he gives us various details about his coming in the clouds with power and glory. In terms of the people of God, he's going to send out people to the four winds. That's the four winds of the earth, the four corners of the earth, and they will gather the elect from, the, uh, from one end of heaven to the other. He tells his disciples that after the tribulation in those days that the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its life, the stars light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then Jesus mentions that, look, you guys, you, you, learn, you can learn the lesson from the fig tree. You know when the figs are going to be ready. You know what the season is when there's leaves on the fig tree, when there's fruit on the fig tree. So you will be able to know when we're getting close to that time is. Learn the lesson from the fig tree. And he concludes chapter 24 with, by te- excuse me, by telling them that no one knows the day or the hour that this things, these things will take place except the Father. Those days will be like a flood in Noah's day where people who are not paying attention to the signs around them are doing the everyday things, and some guy down at the end of the cul-de-sac is building a boat. They don't even pay any attention. Jesus impresses upon them that they need to be ready because the Son of Man is coming at a time when they least expect it. And then he concludes this section, chapter 24, with the story about a faithful and wise steward who when the master takes uh, some time away he keeps on doing what he was hired for in the first place as opposed to the wicked steward who saw the master leave and did not continue on with what he was supposed to do and then the results of that as you can imagine After these words, after everything I've just said regarding the end of the age, Jesus begins his story to illustrate what the kingdom of heaven will be like at that point in time with the story that we're going to look at today of the ten bridesmaids of the ten virgins. They're waiting for the groom to appear at a wedding ceremony. So we'd like to get into that uh, parable right now. So if you can turn in your Bibles or your electronic devices, uh, I'll be reading in the same version as your pew Bibles there, to Matthew 25, 1 through 13. And once you've found that in honor and reverence of our Lord, please stand while I read this parable together for us. Matthew 25. Verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins 
who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here comes the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But, as he, but he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the word of the Lord. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Weddings are popular events, aren't they? I mean, as soon as we read the word bridegroom here, we knew it was about going to be about a wedding celebration. There are great times to wish a young couple well for the rest of their life. Time to meet people that come from out of state that we used to know years ago and to reconnect with them. A time to reminisce about the things we used to do together in the good old days at the wedding celebration. Time to engage with others and there's such things as catching the bouquet or the garter or uh, eating plenty of cake or the money dance with the bride or do they still do the Macarena? <laughs> Don't, listen, I've never done it in my life. I'm telling you, I've never done it. <laughs> now, as a pastor, I've always... Uh, wanted the added blessing of not only to walk our daughters down the aisle, but to also perform the ceremony and to uh, uh, have that role as well, and I'm one for three, but that's okay. Uh, you know, it's, it's all good. Our daughter, uh, our second daughter, Amy, is a perfectionist as most brides are, right? And notice I did not, and if she come. I do not, I did not use the Zilla word here, you know, for Amy. She's not a bridezilla. She was just a perfectionist, I think. And I said to her, I said, Amy, come on, let me marry you. No way, Dad. You'll just blow it. You're going to cry all over the place and you won't be able to get anything. You won't be able to get through anything. It'll be terrible. Some of you were here when, that, when we did that. We had that ceremony 22 years ago, Gordy. <laughs> Can you imagine? So I kept bothering her. I kept bugging her and saying, come on, uh, what, what can I do? What do I? Because here in this sanctuary is where it was. The bride comes down the stairway and, and turns and comes down. The, and then the father gets a hold of her, and, and brings her right up here to the bridegroom. 30 feet. That's all I get. 30 feet. I said, come on, can I do something? So I kept bugging her, and she finally said, okay, okay. You can pray over us before the, um, uh, uh, we're pronounced as man and wife, and Bob Burris did the pronouncing. John Adam did the whole service, actually, if the, uh, uh, as it was 22 years ago, John. Can you imagine? But anyway, as we got closer, as we got closer, you know, I, I started to wonder, okay, I love to pray over uh, couples at the end. It's just, it's just a blessing to place these newlywed couples into the hands of the Lord. 
but when the time came, I hadn't even started my prayer of blessings, and I began to choke. And Amy knew disaster was on its way. <laughs> she, if I was to see her, which I didn't look at her, or I would have really lost it. She, I knew her face was probably really red, and she was looking for any place she could to hide. She wanted to go through that door over there. Get me out of here. My dad's a lunatic. She was right, of course. She's right to this day. And um, I'm grateful for having been given the chance. So as we look at the details of this parable, parable, notice, let's just start up front. Notice that it starts with the word then. This is the ESV version. It starts in the word, with the word then. In the NIV, it says at that time. which is the only time the word then or at that time, that phrase is used in a parable in the Bible, at the beginning of a parable. And then the word then or at that time points to the time just prior to the second coming of Jesus at the end of the age. And the rest of the parable says what the kingdom of heaven will be like at that time. I'm going to read that first sentence again. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Then, in those days, when Jesus comes again at the end of the age. We know this from the context of the story, and we know it from all of the words that Jesus said earlier in chapter 24. The temple will be torn down. There will be a sign of his coming. And the sign of the, and, and the three questions that the disciples asked. Um, when is the temple going to be torn down? What, when is the uh, end of the age? And what will be a sign of his company? company? Coming. In fact, it's significant to know that here in chapters 24 and 25, there are five instances where we are told to wait and watch because we don't know the day or the hour that Jesus will appear at his second coming. So that's what we know. What it's, that's the context of this parable. Another thing we need to look at in this story is that there's no word-for-word translation between the ancient Greek language to communicate what we know as a bridesmaid. The word in the ancient Greek is deca parthenoi, and that means ten virgins. That's why most of your, if you're looking at an NIV or uh, most other translations will speak ten virgins through the whole parable rather than bridesmaids. And since the bride is not even mentioned in the story, even though it's about a wedding ceremony, we can hardly call them bridesmaids except that it makes so much sense to do so because of our culture. Our culture. Wouldn't you call those that are helping out, those women that are helping out in a ceremony, that are, that are helping out the bride, wouldn't you call them bridesmaids? That's what we'd call them. That's what we know. That's how we can understand what this story means here. In the first century, these are all ten young maidens who were all virgins according to cultural rules of conduct, and they too assisted the brides. I kind of like how the Revised Standard Version has it. And it calls them attendants. But for us, bridesmaids work. So I, I took all of my message and I took virgins out and I put in bridesmaids. So we can, under, we can all understand what we're talking about here. So the bridesmaids or attendants went forth to wait for the bridegroom. Now, I need to tell you that commentary writers are all over the place. 
in terms of the sequence of events and the where is at the is, is, are they at the bride's house? Are they at the groom's house? Yes, they're at the groom's house. No, they're at the bride's house. Blah, 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 blah. But uh, because there's scant detailed information relative to these types of ceremonies out there, the first century Jewish wedding. And also, like our weddings today, there's no two that are alike, right? Oh, we're going to have the reception at the church. No, the reception's going to be at a, it's a destination wedding. The reception's going to be at the winery down the street. Or it's going to be here, or it's going to be there. It's going to be held at this house, or it's going to be held at that house. It's, it's all different. I did read some Jewish extra-biblical material, but it wasn't significant enough for me to bring it forward to you today, so sorry. One... One note was about a story of a bridegroom who fell in the boudoir and cracked his head and died on his wedding night. Now, what is, how is that relative to what we're talking about today? It isn't. However, having said that, I need to tell you that the general the general subject of the wedding ceremony is used by Jesus or other New Testament writers like John the Baptist uh, in all kinds of stories and parables and parts of speech and events. For example, Jesus, Jesus performed his first miracle where? At the wedding ceremonies at Cana, sure, in Galilee. Y'all know that. When some of the disciples came, uh, disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus, they asked him, hey, how come your disciples don't fast? Pretty neutral question, right? What, how does Jesus respond? He says, can, a wedding, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. He turns it into a wedding story. And by the way, that same story about why the bridegrooms don't fast and everything is in a lot more times than you'd think in the New Testament. I saw all kinds of them, but I, I didn't count as many as, as there was. Then there's the parable of the kingdom of God being like the king who gave a wedding feast for a son and nobody showed up. <laughs> So he tells the servants to go out and get some people, and they got a few. And he tells them, go out and get some more, and then they get a few more. Finally, after a few tries, they got the place full, but nobody had the right wedding garments on. And that was the problem with that story. Then there's a teaching from Jesus regarding where to sit at the wedding feast. Jesus said, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit at the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. Now, Jesus could have used any public gathering there, but he used a wedding ceremony. By the way, has that ever happened to anybody? Brenda, Brenda reminded me, this is just a little funny. Brenda reminded me the other day that the time we went to a wedding, and we knew that the, the, the mother of the bride, and so, so oh, Jim and Brenda, come, 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 sit right here. And this, the, this is the reception. Sit right here, yeah, this, these are the family, and this is so-and-so, and so-and-so. Sit right here, here's two seats for you right here. Right up front, right up front. So here we are sitting up front. Then comes Aunt Maud who never RSV'd, and her plus one, who nobody knows from Adam. I looked at the face of the mother of the bride, which was, that's told me that disaster was on its way, which was, Jim and Brenda, can you bring your stuff, bring your stuff, get all your stuff, yeah, could you just come, come on, just follow me, just come this way. And, and we sat in the back of the, we sat in the back, of, no problem, you know, it's okay for us, but, oh, Okay. 
Then we see in the book of John where John the Baptist says this. He says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. Y'all remember that? Y'all know that, Jesus, that John the Baptist has prepared the way of the Lord. He announced the coming of the Lord. And then here he's saying, he must increase. It's time for me to fade out. I've done my job. If you've done your job in the kingdom of God, you've done your job. You've done your job. John the Baptist. And there's plenty of more in Scripture. I mean, I didn't even, you know, plenty. But isn't it interesting that this, this story or, or uh, the use of the wedding ceremony is throughout the Scriptures? And so we can conclude by that that those who are hearing this parable of the bridesmaids actually know what Jesus is saying because they've heard him talk about the wedding ceremony before in all different kinds of ways. That's just what we're doing today, trying to figure out what the parable of the ten bridesmaids is all about. Now, key to the story of the ten bridesmaids is that five of them are considered wise and five are considered perfect. I didn't want to go over to this side because there's nobody foolish looking over here. You know, I just didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to. This is because one of the jobs of the bridesmaids in this story is to bring their lamps with them in order to illuminate the coming of the bridegroom. Five did that, and five didn't. Don't try and make it any way different than that. Five did, and five didn't. And while there's a lot of speculation out there regarding the kind of lamps that were used, and yada, 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 the word in the Greek for lamp, lampada, is it refers to both the, um, you, you know, the, the clay pot uh, that has a little lip on it, and then you put the wick in there and you light it. Uh, that's used for interior. That's one lamp with that, that that particular Greek word pertains to. But, you know, uh, 15 of those is, will get you a 25-watt light bulb. You, you don't get a lot of illumination. The other lamp, so to speak, lamp, we wouldn't call it a lamp, we'd call it a torch, but that's us today. The other lamp that is also used in this, in the Bible, elsewhere, is where there's a stick, and there's a cup up here to hold the oil, and then there's cloth wrapped around the stick, and that's the wick kind of thing, and that, that's uh, for outdoor use primarily, and the, the illumination goes a lot farther, you know? So it does make sense then that a torch type of lamp would be effective because it's providing maximum illumination. So along with their lamps and their wicks, which they needed to be trimmed, the five bridesmaids who were smart, the wise ones also carried what? Extra oil. Lest the lights groom and so ready. So the bridegroom is delayed, resulting in all ten bridesmaids falling asleep. Now this is not a negative in the story because both the wise and the foolish bridesmaids fell asleep. It simply signifies that sleep is needed in order for us to get through today and get ready for tomorrow. In, in, especially if you're helping out at a wedding and you've done rehearsals, etc., etc., before. So uh, 
But the problem comes with the fact that the foolish bridesmaids fell asleep prior to taking care of their responsibilities, prior to getting enough oil, prior to trimming their lamps, prior to have everything ready so that when it came, they'd be ready. Right? They didn't accomplish their objectives. So midnight comes and there was a cry, here's the bridegroom, come out and meet him. All of them awake, they all trim their, their, their uh, lamps and they all go out to meet him and verse 8 is where it dawns on the foolish bridesmaids that they don't have enough oil to take care of their respo responsibilities because their lights, their lamps are going out and the foolish bridesmaids then asked to borrow oil from the wise bridesmaids and they refused because this would have caused the shortage for the wise bridesmaids as well and there would have been darkness and, and the, the accomplishment of what and, and what was trying to take place relative to the coming of the bridegroom wouldn't have happened. It would have fallen on its face because there's no light. There's no street lights out there. No Denny's, no in and out, you know, no golden arches out there to light the street. It's really dark. So they went out to the dealers for more oil. And while they're going to obtain more oil, the bridegroom came. And along with those who were ready, keyword ready, they went into the marriage feast and the door was shut. The five bride, foolish bridesmaids returned with plenty of oil, but when they banged on the door, they weren't let in. The bridegroom, as represented by the word he there in the text, responded from behind the door, truly I say to you, I do not know you. That's the parable. And then there's this little ditty on the end where you can imagine Jesus turning to his disciples and he says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour. And that's kind of put on at the end there. Day or the hour of what? Day or the hour when the bridegroom returns or in the context of chapter 24 and 25, when Jesus will return at the end of the age. And the things Jesus mentioned earlier relative to the stones of the temple not remaining on top of one another. That's already happened even though it was future to the disciples back then. I just want to clarify that point. When they were listening to the parable, those stones were there. They've been torn down since then. Of the rest of the things he taught the disciples, they take place at Jesus' coming at the end of the age. So we need to watch as they come to pass and be ready for him. This is the heart of the story of the ten bridesmaids. And the fact that five were wise and five were foolish clearly tells us that when the day or the hour finally comes, there will be those who are not ready because they will not have prepared themselves for that day. Jim, you're starting to preach like a fire and brimstone kind of a TV evangelist here. What on earth is going on? You see, the five foolish bridesmaids didn't take seriously their call to give light. They neglected the only means by which they could do that. They took no extra oil. They only had lamps. One cannot provide lamp with only lamps.
because lamps without oil, candles without wicks, torches without fire, light bulbs without electricity, the outward form of their faith had no internal power. Yeah? Do you see that connection? Today, these would be self-acclaimed Christians on the surface, and their utmost priority should have been to be prepared and ready for the groom, and in that regard, they failed. I'm going to call it like it is, because Jesus has called it is. Oh, they like their positions as friends of the bridegroom, Otherwise, they would have left the wedding, not even been part, not even signed up to be a, a bridesmaid in a way. They just did not have the passion to use the necessary means to fulfill the reason for their position to give off light. So they asked to borrow oil from the others. And don't get sucked into this, well, we should all share and share alike with everybody else. That doesn't apply here. Because scriptures tell the truth, saying that if the wise bridesmaids gave their oil to the foolish ones, they'd all run out and be left in the dark. You cannot borrow your faith from others. It is impossible to borrow the power of the Holy Spirit for even a special time or use and then live your life the way you want the rest of the Which means being prepared, ready, and watching for his eventual coming at the end of the age. Each person has to come to Christ. Each person has to receive the Holy Spirit and live their life for Jesus, thus being prepared and ready and watching for his return. Because no one knows the day or the hour. Because you know what? If you try and borrow your faith, you know what it's going to get you? It's going to get you a shut door and the words from the bridegroom saying, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. And I know these are difficult words for us this morning. I know that. But I need to tell you a couple of important things. Things. First off, this isn't the only time Jesus has said words like these, as you can imagine. He uses, he says them in several parables. And then earlier in Matthew 7, he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He said this before. Now, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, I know he said that before, but why does he do that? Why does he use such difficult words when he speaks? Keep in mind, he's talking about the time when the greatest calamity that will ever take place across this planet will take place. Jesus gives us a hint of this just prior to telling his disciples this parable. He says in verses 21 and 22 of Matthew 24, for there will be great tribulations such as not been from the beginning of the world, the beginning of the world, Until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. And then he begins to tell 
this parable, which has the point of needing to be prepared and ready and watching and be, being careful to, for the coming of the Lord because nobody knows the day or the hour. You know, sometimes you hear people say this, and I've heard it before, people that I thought were very, very, very strong Christians. You know, we've heard people say that stuff before. You know, Jesus is coming. Back in 88, so-and-so said it here, so-and-so said it there. You know, why do I have to pay attention to this kind of stuff? Because we're going to keep hearing it. We're going to keep hearing it. Well, if you don't want to hear it, you better get a scissors and start cutting on your Bible. And I tell you, you're going to have quite a trash can full of, of, of papers down there. But be careful either in 1st or 2nd Timothy, I get those confused, where he says that all scripture is, is profitable for teaching reproof and righteousness, etc., etc. You know that. All, all scripture. 2nd.ly I want to look at today's, just for a second, I want to look at today's uh, message from just a, another angle here. And, 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 and you know that we read earlier from chapter 24 that a prelude to Christ's coming again is going to be that many will fall away from the faith and betray one another and hate one another. But if you apply these teachings that we've been talking about today, from this parable, which encourages us to be prepared, ready, and watching for the Lord's coming, won't that keep us diligent and active in our faith and will in turn prevent us from falling away or will in turn prevent us from uh, betraying one another or hating one another? Of course it will. Can I get an amen? That was a medium. Can I get a little bit larger one? Sure. Sure. That's how we keep from falling away. We keep alert. We keep in the scriptures. We keep watching and waiting because we don't know the day or the time, the hour. We don't know. Jesus doesn't know when he's going to be sent, only the Father. Okay. I hear you, Jim. I hear you. But look, I, I, I'm a person that likes to hear positive things. Isn't there, isn't there a, a specific positive thing that you can say to us morning from the, this morning from the parable of the ten bridesmaids? Give it to us. Don't leave me hanging. Isn't this series supposed to be uplifting and encouraging to us? Friends, God's word is uplifting and encouragement, yes? God's word is also, let me get my two words right here, uh, it's also realistic and factual, right? It's realistic and it's factual. It's a fact that the end of the age is coming and, the, and it will be a horrific time for this planet, but listen to me. Listen to this parable. Don't listen to me. Listen to the parable. There were a number of people, five, and, and you cannot, by the way, I've got to say this, you cannot make a 50-50 comparison here. Well, there were five foolish and five wise. That means half the planet are foolish and half the planet are wise. No, no, no. You can't go there. You understand? You can't go there. The, is, the text won't support it. But, 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 but let me tell this, tell you this. 
there were a number of bridesmaids who were prepared and ready for the bridegroom's arrival, and they went into the celebration together. You know how that positive that is to be in the presence of the Lord forever? Can you get excited about that? That's why we're here. That's why you're sitting in these pews this Sunday. I want to hear more about Jesus because I know that's in front of me. He's coming again. You're going to get me excited here in a minute. Here's the four words you were looking for. And let me show you as I wrap up. <laughs> as I wrap up, let me show you what the five bridesmaids will see when they enter through the door and into the wedding ceremony. Can I show you that? We get a glimpse of it from Revelation 19, 7 through 9, and let me read it to you. This is called the Mary's Supper of the Lamb. Let us rejoice, exult, and give him Jesus the glory. Is that what we're going to be doing on Saturday night? Oh, you, uh, if you got the email, you, you've heard that. Well, we're going to do, be doing that out in the patio. We're going to be rejoicing. We're going to be exalting. We're going to be lifting up the name of Jesus. That's what we did this morning. But he's going to be there. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Here we read about the church of Jesus Christ, the true church, authentic Christians who are the bride of Christ. And she, we, as the bride of Christ, the church, will be clothed in fine linens, which are the righteous deeds of the saints. Can you imagine that? You're going to have this robe on and, and this, little, this little bit of thread going down there, that's the righteous deeds from Billy Graham. Or, or Paul the Apostle. Or, or Timothy. Or these are the righteous, or my, my, my friend, the righteous deeds of the saints. That's what we're going to wear. And even to be able to attend the marriage supper will be unimaginable because it opens the door to eternity from Jesus. From there we go to reigning with him in the millennial kingdom, according to the book of Revelation. At that time, we'll be with Jesus, reigning with him at that time. Now, isn't that something positive? Can you get behind that? So this parable invites us to answer for ourselves which set of bridesmaids we're going to be. The wise ones who are ready and prepared and watching or the foolish ones who will try to borrow their way into eternity where they think they can fake it in terms of their faith. So I got to ask you, are you prepared and ready for the coming of the Lord by being an authentic Christian, living your life every day for Jesus? Or is your faith on loan? 
where you engage once in a while, but for the most part, yours is the way of the world. As the old Amish saying reads, be life long or short, its completeness depends on what it was lived for. Be complete in Jesus. There's no other way to gain entrance into eternity than being prepared, ready, and watching as you live your life for him. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to conclude our message with a prayer before the Lord, and I would encourage you, I'm going to read it slower, slowly. I took a lot of time on it. I'll read it slowly, and, I'm, and if that is you, just you can say the same thing to the Lord this morning. Lord God Almighty, we receive these words from your son Jesus and desire to both live for him and be prepared, ready, and watching for his eventual return. Speak to us, we pray, regarding this parable. And place a mirror in front of our hearts so that we might see what we are, the wise or the foolish bridesmaids. Times will be difficult and we know that the closer we are to you, the better we will be able to go through them. And Lord, if I am trying to borrow my spirituality from others by the things I say and do, forgive me, O oh Lord. Speak to my heart clearly again. And draw me closer to you more than ever before. For Jesus, I do love you. And I want to be your attendant for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name.